And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Um, this passage, and I, this is what, I mean, I've, I've known, in fact, my, uh, nearly every Christmas, my mind will go back to this particular passage of Scripture because it says, we, we know that it's related to the Christmas story. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. We understand that that is pointing us to the nativity, the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. But there's so much theology in these few verses that I never saw before. And so I've enjoyed just kind of unpacking them um, because this is really the, the whole summary. This is, this is not only the summary of the miracle that, that happened at Christmas 2,000 years ago, but this is an outline of God's whole plan of redemption uh, in just a handful of verses here. This outlines the whole scope of what God's plan was. And then, of course, the other scripture illuminates that for us. Um, but when but when the scripture says in the fullness of time God um, that that's the when that's the uh, when when everything was just right when everything was in place when everything when all the other prophecies had been fulfilled at just the right time and 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 I think it was the right time in history I think it was the right time um, in in the culture that was ruling the world in that day it was the right time in prophecy it was the right time for humanity especially for the Jewish people because God hadn't spoken um, through a prophet to them through a living prophet to them in over 400 years until uh, John the Baptist broke the silence and and became literally the last of the Old Testament prophets and ushered in the the, the um, the, the coming of the Messiah and then the apostles um, and disciples of Jesus took over from there. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. We, we kind of unpacked that last week and, and down through um, the first part of, um, of verse number five. And I'm not going to go back and preach that whole message to you, but, that, but those verses that we covered last week um, I talked about the what, the who, and the how of God's plan of redemption. We talked about um, God's sovereign prerogative or a sovereign plan and purpose, that this was God's eternal design and purpose that he set in motion before he ever created the world. He didn't come up with this after the fact. This was God's plan from uh, before the beginning of creation. Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. We talked about the son's preexistence. That's his deity. That's the glory of Christ. He said, Father, glorify me now before he went to the cross. Glorify me now with the glory that I had with you before the world was. So, so that points us to the deity of Christ, um, to, the, to the fact that he had eternal glory that he laid aside uh, for the purpose of redemption. Uh, the succession of prophecy, Jesus fulfilled that first messianic prophecy Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 that the, that the enemy of the serpent would be the seed of the woman that the one that crushed Satan's head would be the seed of the woman and and so this is a this is a, a points us to um, the virgin birth and the humanity of Christ that he was both the son of God and the son of man that he um, was robed with eternal glory but that he also robed himself uh, in human flesh he put on human flesh in order that he might redeem us the Bible says that he was made under the law, which speaks of his sinless perfection. He didn't live above the law. He 
walked out and fulfilled the law just as he had gave it to us and, and then the submission to the purpose of God that he might redeem those which points us to um, his sinless sacrifice. The Bible said in the Old Testament without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sins. And so he understood that his purpose when he came was to submit himself to death for the sins of mankind. He submitted fully to that purpose. And so um, all of that kind of talks about the, the, the when, the what, the who, and the how. And today's text tells us the why that we might receive. God did all of these things. <laughs> he, 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 he had all of this plan in place from before, before man ever sinned, before the world was ever created. Um, he had this, this outline of redemption um, set forward, put in place, and when the fullness of time was come, it all came to pass just as God predicted. But the, but the why of all that, why did God do what he did that we might receive? That's the why. And, and I can summarize everything I'm going to say to you in just a few words. Um, God did everything that he did. Everything that he did was all about us and all for us. And if you don't chew on anything else that I say this morning, I wish you'd just chew on that. That God did what he did for us. And that was all about us. Now, let me just, <clears throat> I ain't going to chase this rabbit for a minute. As we walk through this world, we ought not make it all about us. In fact, what we ought to do as we walk through this world is make it all about him because he made it all about us. And so we don't need to get, we don't need to let this, this thought exalt us. We need to let this thought humble us. And I, I said it either last week or the week before last. Um, God could have started over. I mean, he could have started over as many times as he wanted to start over. Um, when, when he could have started over when he wiped the world clean and left Noah alive. He could have wiped the whole planet and said, let me just begin this process again. And um, I mean, if he if he spoke this world into existence and he and he made man out of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man rebelled against him, um, he could have just said, let me just let me just start from scratch and wipe the slate clean. Um, but God set forth he he set forward a plan to showcase not only his holiness but also his love for his creation. And so everything about what God did is about us and. For us, and that we're going to unpack that thought as we move forward this morning. Um, but in this season of year, um, and giving is a big part of what we do in this season of year. And I think that that is rooted and grounded in the fact that when God gave us Jesus, He gave us the unspeakable. Paul Paul called it the unspeakable gift, which just means the indescribable, incomprehensible gift. Um, and in this season that we that we celebrate the unspeakable gift that God gave us. Um, we also celebrate what we, when we unpack that gift, when we receive that gift, what it looks like. And, and when we, by faith, um, when we, by faith, receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, our entire status as human beings changes, it, it changes extremely. And that's what he's given us in this passage of Scripture this morning. Um, he, he came to redeem those of us who were under the law, that, that is, who were under the condemnation of our sins. We have violated the law of God. Um, we were subject to the law in the sense that we owed, we owed a debt that we could not pay. And so he, he came to redeem all of us who were under the law, and then it began to list the benefits of what he did. What, what do we receive 
when we receive Christ as our Savior and Lord. There are some changes that take place uh, in our lives as human beings. And I want to just consider them for a few minutes. I'm not going to tell you anything new this morning. But I think it's some thoughts that we ought to ponder a little more often. We went from being orphaned to being adopted. We went from being orphaned to being adopted. We were abandoned in sin. The, David said this about himself. I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And, and that's how we all were. We were sinners by we were sinners by nature, and we were um, sinners by choice. We had a sinful nature in us when we were born, and we exercised that sinful nature as soon as we got an opportunity. And that sinful nature separated us from God. Um, we were we were accountable for our sins. We were accountable for our sins. Um, we we were born with it, and we chose it, and we were all together accountable for it. And in that sense, that alienated us from God. Um, you don't have to go any further than Ephesians chapter two to see what the Bible says that we were separated, that we were alienated, that we were enemies of God, that that um, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Uh, we had no life of Christ within us. So we went from that place of being. I'm completely alone and accountable for our own sin to being adopted into the family of God. And to be adopted in the family means that God chose us. Uh, and when he chose us, he also cleansed us. And when he cleansed us, he then clothed us with the righteousness of Christ himself. Um, Y'all know my cousin Ray McMillan, and he said, I think he says it about every week, honestly. He says it almost every time I ever hear him preach, especially if he gets close to the subject of being a child of God. Um, he likes to remind everybody, every chance that he gets, that, um, and sometimes he'll say it like this, y'all were just born. Y'all were just born like you are. You were just born with the family that you have. But I was chosen because Ray was adopted. And, and he likes to remind, he even likes to remind, his dad's gone on to be with the Lord now, but he likes to remind them, y'all picked me out. Y'all chose me. And uh, Ray said all of his life he thought his dad gave, um, paid $200 for him. And he said, he said one day after his dad heard him say that in a sermon, he, he approached him outside and said, I hate to break this to you, but we didn't pay $200 for you. We gave $100. <laughs> <laughs> and Ray, but Ray's learned how to make a twist on that now. You know, he used to say, uh, "My mom and daddy chose me and 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 paid two hundred dollars for me." And uh, but now he says, you know, it went from two hundred dollars to one hundred dollars. But he said that's an even better deal because look what you get for a hundred dollars. <laughs> and so he he likes to remind everybody about that adoption. But there's a lot of truth in that that concept of being adopted by God because it does mean that he chose us and it does mean that he paid the price to receive us unto himself as his adopted children so everybody that trusts in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord are adopted into the family of God forever now we could get we, I could we could talk at length about what all that means to us and some of what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes is going to point us to that um, but we get a brand new, I mean, the, the, the book of Revelation talks about us receiving a new name. An adopted child inherits the name of the parents who adopted him. He may have been born with, a, with, with one name, but when he's adopted, that last name is changed. That surname is changed. It tells, it tells a new story about a new family that he's a part of. And when God adopts us into our family, the book of Revelation talks about he's given us a new name that no man knows but he himself. He's given us his name, brought us into his family forever, purchased fully by his precious blood. So we go from being orphaned, 
uh, and alienated from God to being adopted by God and placed into his family. Um, the next thing that I see in this text is that we go from being empty to being filled. And I know that there's a different way to say this, from being, from being empty inside to being filled. And another way that the Bible says this in the book of 1 John is that we pass from death to life. Um, Ephesians says that we're dead in sins and trespasses, that we have no spiritual life. In John chapter 5, Jesus was talking about not only a physical resurrection, but, he's, but he also talked about a spiritual resurrection, which is being born again. And, um, and, and he said the hour has come, and now is, that all who hear the voice of the Son of God, um, all who hear that voice um, and receive it will live. And that, that, that speaks of the new birth. That speaks of being empty, not, not having any of God's Spirit in us, to being filled with the Spirit of God. So we pass uh, from death to life when God sends the Spirit of Christ into us. The Spirit of Christ does for our spirit the same thing that God's breath in Adam did for his lifeless body. We had no spiritual life. Until we were born again, we had no spiritual life until he sent forth his spirit into our heart and into our life. Um, so the emptiness and the void that was there is now full of the life of Christ. And when you talk about what, what being full of the life of Christ is all about, um, it's about having the peace of God. It's about being at peace with God. Um, we had one of Cindy's family get together in Callahan yesterday, and, and um, I, I often bring the devotion, but um, one of the nephews brought it yesterday, and he did a really good job. But, but, the, but the, primary, um, the primary point of his devotion was that in, that in the Lord Jesus Christ we have peace. Um, we have peace with God through Christ. Um, we can experience the peace of God that passes understanding in this world that we live in. Um, because Jesus said, in this world you're going to have tribulation, but in me you can have peace. So even though the world is in turmoil around us, we know who we are because Christ lives in us. We've been filled with him, so we have his peace. We have, uh, we have his power. We have all the promises that, that, that come with uh, being in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, and, you know, with the Spirit of God in us, with God's Spirit living in us, we can find God's purpose for our life and we can fulfill God's purpose for our life. He empowers us um, to know and to do His good will because of His Spirit in us. Um, I can tell you, I wandered around my life for, for well, all of my life until 1993, just kind of wandering aimlessly about. I didn't know what I, I mean, I had ambitions to buy this and buy that and have this and have that. And, um, but, but until Christ moved into my heart, I didn't have no real purpose. I mean, I didn't have any, uh, I, I didn't know what God's plan was for me. I didn't know what God's purpose was for my life. And I hadn't, I didn't have any desire or any strength to do, um, what God had called me to do. But when he came in and filled the emptiness of my spirit up with himself, he not only revealed to me his purpose for my life, but he gave me the strength to go out and find and fulfill that purpose, and it's it, and, it, and it feels um, it contents me to know that I'm doing what God would have me to do. So we go from being orphaned to adopted. We go from being empty to filled. We go we go from unknown to intimate. Now, um, I can tell you this: I've known about God all of my life, and you may have been brought up in the same kind of home that I was brought up in. I knew about God my whole life from the time I was an infant to the time I was that, that rebellious 27-year-old. Uh, I knew all about God. I, I could tell you uh, more about God, I think, than a lot of Christians could probably tell you about God 
but I didn't know God. I knew about him. But I didn't know him. I didn't have a, I didn't have a, a personal relationship with him. Um, people mention names to me all the time. And, I, and, and do you know so-and-so? And I said, well, I know, I know of him. I, you know, I, I got a name and I got a face. But other than that, I don't really know him. I couldn't tell you anything about him. I couldn't tell you anything about I can tell you what I've heard, but I can't tell you about their personality. I can't tell you, you know, what, their, what their likes are, what their hates are. I can't tell you. You know, I just don't know, I don't know them in a personal way. And so I knew about God all of my life, but I never knew him in a personal way. I never knew him in an intimate way. I never, and I believe this is an absolutely true statement. Nobody ever truly knows God until they know Christ as Lord. Everything about your knowledge of God before you come to Christ is just head knowledge. It's not. It's not relational knowledge. There's no intimacy there. Uh, you can li- you, any listen. Anybody, any anybody that reads the Bible uh, can come away with a list of facts about God. But until you embrace Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you'll never know God. And I remember the night that I that I did um, just humble myself under the mighty hand of God and ask Him to be merciful to me and to forgive me and to take charge of my life and to do something with it that I've not been able to do on my own. And in that moment, I knew God. In that moment, I had I entered into an intimacy with God that I had never known before. It radically transformed me from the inside out, beginning in that very moment. Um, I, you know, I've, I, you've heard me describe and share my testimony before. It felt like God just lifted every sin in the world off of my shoulders and poured me full of himself, pulled me full poured me full of his love and his forgiveness and his grace. And, you know, for the first week after my conversion, I'd cry every thought of it. I'd weep over it. And I still, it still moves me to tears today to think about that, that, that moment when I went from being empty to filled and when I went from just knowing about God to truly knowing him uh, in an intimate sense. So in Christ, you can not only know him as God, but you can know him as Father. And it gets even better than that. And this is uncomfortable even for me to this day, and I don't know why. But we not, you know, we when a kid calls us, and I, I get it, some kids were brought up in different cultures than I was. But if if a kid calls his biological daddy father, that don't even sound right to me, because I call my daddy daddy. Why? Because there's an intimacy in that. There's a connection in that. He's not. He's not just the one who sired me. He's not just not just the one that um, that 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 gave me life. Um, he's the one that I have run to over and over and over in my life. So, so when we know when we know Christ as Lord and Savior, we don't just know about God. We know God, and we know Him not just as God, not just in those attributes of His holiness and His. Um, eternity and his omniscience and his omnipotence. All those are facts about God, but we know him as Father. And if you understand the Jewish nation and how they viewed God for, for, for thousands of years, they would not even say his name out loud. Um, when you see the Jewish people write the name of God down, they leave out the, the vowels and just write the consonants because the name was too holy for them to speak about. And one of the reasons Jesus got so much hostility uh, from the Jewish leaders was that he called God Father. 
um, he, he, he called upon him as his father, not just as a holy God. And so they understood that Jesus is putting himself in a, in a level of intimacy with God that they were completely unfamiliar with. And so, and, and, that, and, and in our lives, we can know him as God. It's good to know his attributes. It's good to try to wrap our minds around that concept of him being almighty and all-knowing and, and eternal. It's good for us to meditate on that. But it's also even better for us to understand um, that we know him not just as father, um, not just as the one that sired us, not just as the one that had us in his mind, but we can know him as, as Abba, which is, which is the, the Jewish word or the Greek word, rather, for daddy. So um, here's a passage in First John that says, Perfect love casts out fear. And I, I know that early on in my relationship with God, I was still blown away because I knew I had that fact list about him, which brought fear to me in most cases. Um, because I, I had learned about his holiness and I would learned about my sinfulness and it brought fear to me. But when I received Christ as my personal Savior, then I immediately had a different kind of relationship with God. But at the same time, I'm still a little bit, um, a little bit I guess, mixed up in my mind about the, the fatherhood of God. But as you begin to learn and grow in him and experience the love that he has for you over and over and over, there's a transition that takes place in your life where you really can begin to see him as daddy. Um, where you tap into that intimacy, um, I'm not as I'm not as comfortable doing this in in a corporate worship setting like this, but I do in my personal prayer time when I'm alone with my Father. Um, I do talk to Him more intimately. Um, I do talk to Him in the, in in the same terms that I would talk to my Daddy. When Mitch prays, a lot of times you'll hear Mitch, and it. I know that people bristle when they hear it. Um, I know that people, some people get offended when they hear it, but Mitch will stand up here in his pulpit sometimes, and when he starts praying, he'll call, he'll call God Daddy. He said, Daddy, I'm coming to you this morning. That's biblical. As, as much as it might rub us the wrong way and might sound unfamiliar to us, um, there's two or three places in God's Word where it says, because of what Christ has done for us, because of what God did for us in Christ, we can know him not only as God, not only as Father, but also as Abba. That we, can, that we can experience that level of intimacy with him. That the perfect love that he has for us cast out our fear of him. And now we can run into his presence just knowing that he loves and cares for us. When the Bible says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. It literally means you don't have to be timid. Um, now, that don't mean we can, that we should be proud but that we can run into the Father's presence. We can run into the throne room and say um, whatever we need to say to him because he's Father, he's Daddy to us. Uh, I won't ever forget the picture. Some of y'all remember it. Um, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, so the, the JFK assassination was really fresh back then, so we, saw, we heard a lot about it and saw a lot about it. But there's a, there's a, a famous picture that has... Um, his son playing under the desk um, in the Oval Office. And, and you know, that picture uh, makes reference to the, this is the most powerful man in the world um, as far as politics and military might is concerned. The President of the United States of America and a little child is playing at his feet. And, 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 and that's just a, um, that's a miniature scale model of what we experience of being in Christ is that we can have an intimacy with the Father that we literally can come to the feet of the Almighty 
and petition him for, you know, when you think about when you think about that concept, we can go to the Father and say, Lord, I'm my head's stuffy this morning. Will you help me? And we can come to him with that kind. That seems trivial, don't it? Would you go to the President of the United States and say, Hey, I don't I ain't feeling real good this morning. Anything you can do to help me out, you know? But this is the this is the relationship that we have with the Almighty. We can run into his presence and find everything that we need. We go from being unknown to intimate. Um and I'm going to be with my daddy as soon as I can this afternoon. Um, I'm, I'm going to go down there and spend some time with him. I've seen his health decline the last two years. There was a time in my life that I didn't know my daddy very well. And because I didn't know him very well, although he raised me and was a great daddy, I don't have any horror stories to tell us a daddy. He tore my tail up, if that's a horror story. <laughs> but he never whipped me any time that I didn't need to be whipped. Um, <clears throat> but, but daddy, as I've grown... Um, and our relation, my relationship with him went from one of rebellion to respect. And as I've grown in my relationship with God and understand and understood what my daddy was trying to do in my life, he didn't do it perfectly, but he did the best that he could do, especially with what he had to work with in me. Um, but as I've grown in my relationship with Christ, I've grown in my relationship with my daddy, and he's helped me get a, a glimpse of the love that my Heavenly Father has for me. And uh, my daddy now, and, and you can, I, I, I will admit it, you can, you can say you spoiled. And I will admit that. My daddy right now would not deny me anything that I truly needed. Nothing. If I went to my daddy today, even laying in that hospital bed and said, Daddy, I, I need this, and I don't know any other way to get it, but I ask you for it. He'd do everything in his power. If it was in his power to do it, he'd do it without question, without reservation. He wouldn't say, how are you going to pay me back? How are you going to do this? How are you going to do that? He'd just say, here. Now that's, in fact, I have to be careful. Uh, sometimes I'll post something on Facebook. I, I, the, I'll give you an example. Some of y'all say, yeah, I know you spoiled now because I posted a gun. Taylor Outdoors over in, in Douglas had a, had a nice gun. And, and before I knew what's happening, Daddy is is at Taylor Outdoors in Douglas. And they had sold the gun that I posted. It sold almost immediately. And so he called me, and he's like, I came over here to get that gun. I said, Daddy. I said, I was posting that for everybody. I, yeah, that's a nice gun, but but you don't. I don't need you to do all that. I said, I can buy my own gun. He said, I just want you boys to have what, what you want. And he said, if you find one, just buy it, and I'll pay you back. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's real tempting. <laughs> I don't necessarily want my daddy to do those things for me. But the kind of relationship that I have with him right now, um, anything that I needed and a lot of what I wanted, if he could give it to me, he'd give it to me. Now, the reality is, is that most of us feel the same way about our children. If they need it, we're going to do everything in our power to give it to them. If they want it, we're going to do everything that we can. As long as we know that it's not going to be harmful to them, We'll do whatever we can to give. That's the kind of relationship. By faith in Christ, we go from just knowing about God, even an, even unknown as far as a personal relationship with him, to being at a place of absolute in, uh, intimacy, to know him as not only father but also as daddy. And then lastly, we go from being debtor to heir. Uh, 
I spent long on that last point, and I intended to, and, and I'm not going to belabor this one, but I, I, would, I would challenge you to go through the Bible sometime soon and look at what this, just unpack this thought that we have an inheritance. Now you can go to the book of Revelation and find a lot about what it looks like. But that we went from being a debtor. We went from, from owing a debt that we could not pay to being a co-owner of the kingdom of God. And just think, meditate on that concept. You went from being a sinner who had a debt that you could not pay because of your relationship with Christ Jesus, because you've been adopted, because you've been filled with the Spirit, because you have an intimacy now with the Father, you went from being a debtor uh, to an heir of God, a, a joint heir with, with Christ Jesus, uh, a co-owner of the kingdom of God. Now, I know that concept blows me away. But we have an eternal kingdom. You can go to the book of Revelation and said the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ and we shall reign with him forever. We're co-owners in the eternal kingdom of God. Now, I, I just outlined, I just pulled a few scriptures out. This is not an exhaustive list. If you'll go into the word of God, you, can, you could probably take this dozens of directions. But when it talks about the inheritance that we have in Christ, to be joint heirs with Jesus, what does that mean? And I, all I did was picked out the scriptures that, that use the word heir in it. Um, there's a lot of other passages that talk about our inheritance, um, our promised possessions. There's a lot of other scriptures that you can, you can just continue to, to take this out. But I, let me just give you four things that we inherit when we come to Christ by faith. Um, we're heirs of angels. Um, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 says this, Are they not all, speaking about the angels, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? When you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, think about the angelic realm right now. Everything that God tells them to do, they do without question. Um, we, think, we think of the angels as servants of God, right? I mean, that's what they are. That's what they do. That's what God created them for. They're servants of God. Um, they, they, they are there to do his bidding. They are there to do his will. Well, the Bible says that when we come to salvation, when we come to God through, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that those, those same angels that have ministered to him, uh, ministered for him since before the foundation of the world, become, become our servants. They, they, they become those who serve God's family, God's people. Um, remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and won every one of those temptations with the word of God? The Bible said that the angels came and ministered to him. So when we go about our days, when, when, when we need supernatural help, and I can't tell you all the ways that they do this. I think there's a lot of examples in the Bible about how um, they move and minister among us. Um, but, but they are our servants. They are, they're not higher than us. They're lower than us. They serve us in the sense that we have become heirs of salvation. Not only are we heirs of angels, but we're heirs of promise. Galatians chapter 3 verse 29 says, If you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now that's, I, I use that verse simply because it used the word heirs. But here's what the Apostle Paul says about all the promises of God in Jesus are yes and in him amen. So that means every promise that God ever made to humanity is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we have made Christ our Savior and Lord by faith, 
um, then we are inheritors of those promises, um, that we are heirs of the promises that God made, that they are our inheritance. So all those promises that God made to us, and when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they belong to us. And, and, and so just go through the Word and look at those promises. David was promised an eternal kingdom, and in Christ he has that eternal kingdom. We have an eternal kingdom in Christ, uh, and everything that pertains to that kingdom. The Bible says he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness um, through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we got everything we need to be everything that he's called us to be, both now and forevermore. We're inheritors of the promise. We're heirs of glory. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 17 and 18 says, Zach, will you put them there? If, if children, then we're heirs, or we're heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. So everything that's happening to us on the earth right now, uh, we're suffering for him, we're suffering with him, uh, we're, we've entered into his sufferings, and that we've, we, we are humans and subject to um, the curse of sin. But the end result for us is not going to be that we're cast out of his presence um, but when we, come, when, we come, when we have come to Christ for salvation, we become heirs and joint heirs so that even our sufferings um, turn into glory for us. When Jesus went to the cross, the prayer that he prayed was glorify me now with the glory that I had with you before the world was. And then he, pr he prayed the same kind of prayer for us. He said glorify them. Glorify them. Put the glory that you gave me in them. Um, and so at the end of this all, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I was sharing this with James and Sarah a couple of weeks ago because we don't always understand why things are happening the way they're happening. I don't understand what's happening in their life right now. But this has been a, this has been a verse that I go to that I, that I memorized many, many years ago. In fact, I was still on the mail route. I'll, I'll tell you how this verse became special to me. <laughs> um, two guys in, in Camden County who were both in law enforcement uh, were convicted of uh, taking a bunch of money out of a trunk of a car that was seized on Interstate 95. And there was a lot of turmoil and stuff about um, who was involved in it and what happened. And this one guy came from a very good family in Camden County, and I delivered his family's mail every day. Mama was a very sweet lady. Anyway, the story was that this guy got set up. That he that he was the fall guy for the whole thing. He got set up. He maintained his innocence all along. That I didn't have any part in that. Um, and so he he would write letters home to his mama on a daily basis. And there was always, if you've never seen letters that come from prisoners, always beautiful artwork, or most always beautiful artwork, front and back, envelopes all decorated up. Those guys got plenty of time on their hands. And so this guy wrote a letter home to his mama one day, and I was I just and you ain't supposed to do this, but. Statue limitations is over, and I don't work for the post office anymore. <laughs> you ain't supposed to look at nothing but the address, but I had to flip it over and look at the artwork. Beautiful rose was drawn on it, and the back of it had that verse written. And this guy's maintaining his innocence from a prison cell, but he said the sufferings of right now aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. What I, even though he, whether he was or not, I'm not, I, I'm not, I didn't, wasn't there for the jury, but whether he was guilty or innocent, he said, you know what, I know whose I am. I know who I am, I know whose I am. And whatever sufferings I have to endure right now, whether legitimately for something I did or illegitimately for something I've just been accused of, the sufferings that I experience right now are not, are not even going to compare 
to the glory that's going to be revealed in me. And that's true of every child of God. Don't matter what we have to go through on earth, the glory that we will share with him then will make it all worthwhile. So we're heirs of his glory. He, he has already, um, positionally speaking, robed us with the righteousness of Christ. And then the Bible speaks of a day when we're going to be crowned with his glory, uh, when we're going to receive those, those, those crowns of glory and that we rule and reign with him forever. And then the last thing, and, and this just goes, almost goes without saying, but I'm going to include it in the list because I think that we need to understand that we're heirs of eternal life. And I, I get that we when, we when we're saved, we know that we have everlasting life, but I don't think that we even ponder that as often as we should. Galate, uh, Titus, rather, chapter 3, verse 7, that said, Being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We're heirs of the hope of eternal life. And the word there for life is Zoe. And um, I remind you of this often, but Zoe is to have life as God has life. To have life as God has life. It is, it is eternal. God had no beginning and he has no end. He exists throughout eternity. And so when, when the Bible says that we have eternal life, we have, we have life as God has life, which means it's a life that will never end. Um, boggles my mind because I know who I am now and I know my faults and my failures and my shortcomings now. Um, but, but because of what Christ has done for us, we have a life that will never be taken away from us. We have a life that will never end. Jesus said, he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Then he asked the question, do you believe this? What Jesus is speaking of is when you have received me, when you live and believe in me, you don't experience death. You just, you just pass from one rim to another rim. Um, you, you just drop this robe of flesh and put on a robe of glory, and you live forever and ever and ever and ever in the presence of God with life as God alone can give life. So all that the Father has done in this world, all that God has ever done in this world, and I, the, I, can't, answer, I can't answer you the question why he did this, um, but, I, but, I can, but I can tell you that everything that he has done in this world, um, he has made it about us and for us. That, I want you to just remember that phrase, <laughs> that we might receive. God did what he did that we might receive. So you know what has to happen anytime that you, anytime that somebody offers you a gift, that gift has to be received. And the Bible tells us how we receive that gift um, throughout God's word. We receive it by faith. We, we receive it just by acknowledging who we are and what we need and what Jesus is able to provide for us, who he is, what he did. All that the Father has done in this world so that we might receive these incredible gifts by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, I'm just going to read this and we're done. <clears throat> John chapter 1 verse 10 says this. He, that is Jesus, was in the world. And the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came into his own. And his own received him not. And this is my emphasis. But... And, and listen, this is still a true statement today. 
the world that was made by Jesus in large part does not know Jesus. Somewhere close to 8 billion people on the planet now. And, and, by the, and this is if you include all of the, all of the groups that, that have a Christian or a, a Jesus root, which would be Catholicism and Mormonism and anything that has connection with Jesus. Somewhere around 2 billion people on the planet profess some kind of knowledge and faith in Christ. Now, I think that number probably, as far as true believers is concerned, is closer to a billion than it is 2 billion. Not that I don't believe there are any Catholics saved, but some of these groups clearly don't are not worshiping the same Jesus that we're worshiping. So if if you if you just consider that 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 the overwhelming majority of humanity is living in a world that was made by Jesus and they don't know Jesus. And if you take into consideration that it says that he came into his own and received him not. Now I I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I pray I think the Bible has called us to pray for Israel. But, but we've, we still need to understand this truth that Israel rejected Jesus and has still rejected him to this day. Even though they had all the scriptures that pointed to him. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 11 that because of their unbelief they were broken off and the church was grafted in. There's going to come a time, I believe it's during the tribulation that Israel comes back. But right now you could say, you could, John chapter 1 verse 11 still applies. He came unto his own people, the Jewish nation. All the prophets and all the apostles were Jews. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But, and that but, is, that, that but is true for every Jew and every Gentile on the face of the earth and every nation of the world and every, and every tongue and every tribe and every kindred from every background, but as many as received him. Out of 8 billion people on the planet, everybody's got this opportunity. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So have you believed? I mean, I look at this congregation this morning, this is backbone of church. I think we're all Christians in here, but um, th th that's the question for all of humanity. Do you believe who Jesus is? Do you believe what Jesus did? Do you believe he's the only way? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. If you receive that truth, then the Bible says that he gives you power to become sons of God, to be adopted into his family, to be, to be filled with his spirit, um, to be intimate with the Father, to be heirs of eternal salvation. Um, if you have not believed, you can. Um, Embrace Jesus as God incarnate, as Savior and Lord, and he'll do for you what he's done for all of us. Kim, come and lead us in an invitational hymn, if you will. Will you stand with me this morning? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these powerful truths. Lord, I'm, I'm grateful. This passage of Scripture will never look the same to me. And um, I'm grateful for that further unveiling. Um, I'm excited to share these truths. I'm excited that um, I can take the book and open it up to this page and unpack the whole gospel. Um, in, in four or five verses, explain what you did, when you did it, why you did it, um, that you did it for us.
that it's always been about us. And um, I'm profoundly grateful for that. Thank you for the gift that you gave us in Jesus. And thank you for all that we receive when we take that gift by faith. And um, I pray that you would make that more real to us in this season of the year than it's ever been before and make us better witnesses because of it. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name for all you do in us and through us. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. lost but now I'm found was blind